0: In the heart of a champion, there is a fire.
1: Are never safe in this life for as long as you live you have need of spiritual weapons you live among enemies who attack from the right and the left and so if you do not rely on the shield of patience on these occasions it will not be long before you sustain an injury
0: in the heart of
1: a champion that is from Thomas Aquinas and the imitation of Christ way back in the I think 1400s been a while before your time well before and uh, the reason I wanted to read that quote as we start today's episode we're going to be picking up our discussion from last time on the spiritual armaments for this battle warfare and I like that he brings out something we have been stressing over and over again in our conversation that this thing of spiritual warfare and battle it is a constant thing and we are not don't allow ourselves to be fooled that we're not going to consistently need to be Deflecting, defending, as well as a counterattacking in the spiritual battles. And uh, I like also that he he brings in, as we talked last time, we focus more on the characteristics of the weapons as a whole and some of the conditions of our heart if we're going to use them properly. And today we're going to talk about specific pieces of the armament, and he calls it the shield of patience. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in that, it's a reminder of there's an approach and an attitude we need to know how to properly use them. Yes. So guys, thanks for being here, and let's uh, let's join back in on this conversation. Let's transition now and go to the primary text that we've been looking at through this series, which is Mark 1. Jesus is our example of spiritual warfare or conducting spiritual warfare. So in Mark chapter one, I think we can begin looking at the weapons of our warfare that Paul has, as he's described them. But here's what I was thinking. As we look at this, what I was kind of highlighting in Mark chapter 1 here is not the typical, maybe all of it's not the typical things we go to when we start listing spiritual weapons, right? We typically go to Ephesians 6, mm-hmm. and I think that they'll cross over nicely. So, And one of the first things that I want to point out about this, what Jesus shows us, is his obedience to God. When you start talking about spiritual warfare and a weapon, an armament, something that arms you and equips you, there's nothing more foundational than obedience to God. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it, it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Now we know from the other text that he did that as an act of obedience to his father, submission, surrender. It was... It what was happening there for Jesus was this honest, earnest listening to the voice of God. And in our spiritual warfare, that that is something we're gonna to have to practice.
2: Absolutely, because what you're talking about obedience, the point you emphasized there at the end, having to genuinely listen and submit, you know, I can kind of mindlessly obey the rules and rituals, and yet I'm not really tapping into the spiritual armament whereas what Jesus was doing was he was saying, listen, above all else, I am focused on the will of the Father. I'm focused on living for him and in accordance to his will in every capacity of my life. But it is total, 100% yieldedness to whatever you lead me to do. That's how I'm going to walk in that power.
3: So I was digging up the archives of the undisclosed location. And over track, I found one that you did. And I messaged you about this. We, we talked a little bit about it, about how to not fight fair. And I can't think of the points off the top of my head, but it was like, be versatile, be valiant, be violent. And you asked a question. And it's a question a lot of us have asked ourselves when we read this story. But going back to David and Goliath, you asked a million-dollar question. Why didn't anybody else fight Goliath? Why didn't, you know, you made the comment about Jonathan you know, he was skilled with the bow. Why didn't he just pick this guy off? Be mm-hmm. like, hey, where y'all want to go eat? You know, pal, kill him, be done. Why didn't Saul, you didn't say that. That was a Napoleon, but... pow, kill him, be done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avoid. Why didn't Saul just run out there? I mean, Saul was a head and shoulders above every man. I mean, that's one we never get to hear about. But long story short, you made the comment because they thought they had to fight him fair. They thought they had to go out there in their own strength, and fight this nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant, hold for hold, move for move, they would have been killed. Yeah. David went out there out of obedience, submitted to the Lord in the Lord's power, and went out there, and God declared him the victory. Uh, we were
1: talking earlier off, uh, off air, or whatever you call it, you know, about that old saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Well, let me say this. If it's a knife fight, bring a gun. <laughs> yeah. If it's a gunfight, bring a bigger gun, right, you know? Right. That I mean that's how we should approach spiritual warfare. And the biggest gun you've got, friends, is listening and obeying the word of the Lord, the the leading of God in your life. I think about what even going back to 2 Corinthians 10, when Paul says that we're to cast down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and he says bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So the men that are listening, application, 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 before you charge into your son's bedroom to lay down the law and to set him straight, you need to stop and you need to listen for the voice of God and be obedient. And that's just an example, but how I mean, how far and wide does that apply in the yeah, things we right. run into every day? Right. Now that's not fighting fair because I'll tell you what the devil wants, what the enemy wants, he wants you to go in there and lay it down. Sure. But it's, fi- it's disarming him when you take time to listen to the leadership of the Lord.
2: Because that's what men are taught to do. We're taught to react. We're taught to handle things. We're taught to, hey, this is this is just how it is. This is how it's going to be. And I have bungled up quite a bit of good things that the Lord may have tried to be doing because I've gone in, you know, guns a you know, yeehaw, And then had to come back later and be like, man, that could have gone so much better and so much different. And, you know, I I think, too, to the point with all this is talking about even with David, we mentioned a little while earlier on the podcast where we were talking about the difference in, you know, physical weapons and and what our spiritual weapons are. So much is made of David with the sling and the stone and the staff. And those were the things and the tools that he was good with. And I understand all the spiritual application is made and it's good. But ultimately, the thing that David mastered the most was his yieldedness to God. His yieldedness to say, is there not a cause? What what are we worried about? God has separated us. God has told us to do this. It doesn't matter what tool we use. God is the one that is ultimately wielding it. And that becomes then universal, where we don't fight with sticks and stones, even though they break bones. But we go out and just live that yielded life. This was not something where a messenger
3: was sent out to go retrieve David. This was not something to where there was a challenge issued from Goliath to David specifically. He's just there in the area and here's this Philistine out there defying the armies of the living God. And using that as an application for us today, we are okay with the fight as long as it's sanctioned. What I mean by that is we know when it's going to be, where it's going to be. We're good to go with it as long as we're prepared. Because what happens? If we get beat up by somebody, what are we going to say? Oh, it, w- it wasn't fair. I wasn't expecting it. That guy, he sucker punched, sucker punched me. Punched me. Any, yeah. any other day of the week, I'd take him out. I'm, you know, Not I'm tough than him. No, yeah, right? So we're okay with it. But you think of athletes, for example. There are so many athletes who are the best in the world, who never win a championship. And one of the reasons for that is they're not the best in the world the day of their competition. Somebody else is able to do it better than them. And that's the whole thing about spiritual warfare. David was prepared in that moment. He he was not a better warrior than Goliath. But in that moment, he was submitted to the Lord, and he went out there and took care
1: of business. So it goes back to what you were saying earlier about or what we kind of concluded, that this is something that you can't just pick it up when you need it. You've got to live in it. It's Correct. got to be who you are. And you've got to walk in this life of obedience to the Lord, submitted, surrendered. Now, if I were going to apply that to Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God, I would say that fits very well with the very first thing Paul mentions, which is having your loins girt about with truth, because that speaks to having everything held together by your, your integrity, your wholeness, mm. You know, the word integrity, that root word integer means one, a whole, and it's wholeness or holiness, and that comes from obedience to God. So you want to talk about warfare and being armed, it starts there. Well, let's move to the other one, and that is that Jesus obviously had, and it's the one I think we go to first, maybe, the the Word of God. Now, we've just talked about listening to the leadership of the Lord. I want to make a uh, distinction here. God doesn't just speak through the Bible. Right? Right. So we've been talking about listening to the leadership of the Lord. He will speak to your heart. He will lead your heart. And there's different ways that happens. We this is not the podcast to dive into that. But it's important to also know He does speak through His Word. And one of the reasons we have a Bible is so we can read it, we can learn it, and then we can use it. But we need to know how to do it. It's not just about pulling out a verse here or there. When Jesus was tempted. In the wilderness, he pulls out the Word of God, which is, Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, and he uses it very masterfully to not only deflect the temptation, but then to assault the enemy with truth. And so Mark chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 is where it speaks to that, that, that 40 days and nights in the wilderness, those three temptations that come to him. How we learn the Word of God is vital in spiritual warfare. Context matters. Mm. Doctrine matters. Learning to let the Spirit of God bring to our remembrance, but he can't bring to our remembrance what we haven't ingested. Right.
3: The Word of God will always replenish us and give us what we need, help us mature. It gives us the nutrients. We 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 need that in our Christian walk, but where I'm getting at with this is I was listening to the Wild at Heart podcast with John Eldridge, and he was talking about the summer break. And he was asking the question, how was your summer? But he asked a specific question about what's in your reserve. Do you have something in your reserve? And he was talking about COVID and just everything going on. And do we have anything left in our reserve from from all this craziness in the world? And that led me to think about our conversation with spiritual warfare. Take Gr- Grandfather Mountain, for example. Not saying how far it is from our undisclosed location. It could be hundreds of miles, thousands of miles. But if you knew you had to do your daily task at the top of Grandfather Mountain, you would plan very strategically and carefully. You would be like, okay, when I get up to Grandfather Mountain, I got to pay my bills, I got to be a dad, I got to be a husband. There's all these, I got to do work when I'm up there. So you would, you would make sure you woke up very early. You would eat the, the right things. You would dress accordingly. You would make sure your pack was as light as, I think you see where I'm going with this. The last thing you would want to do is not take care of yourself. Climb that mountain and then get up there and try to do everything and you would be exhausted. You would be worthless. That's what spiritual warfare will do to us. We don't plan for it. We don't, we don't live it, and then when it hits us, we have zero energy left. There is nothing in our reserve left. There's no husband uh, energy left. There's no time to be a father. We're exhausted. Satan hit us out of nowhere, so that is why when it goes to the Word of God, living the Word of God, staying in the Word of God, meditating on it day and night, so when those spiritual battles come, you can conserve your energy.
1: We are to. As Paul says in Romans 12, when he talks about not being conformed to the world, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing, the restoration, the replenishing. Psalm 23, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. He takes me to the place of quietness so that I can be replenished. And we do that through the receiving of the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. Otherwise, we will not have the reserve. When, when the battle is happening, you're going to be de- depleted.
3: Correct. You just pick up your sword and you're trying to quote scripture and doing all these things, but when you're done you're you're exhausted. So we need the word of God as and, and really, you know,
1: Paul in Ephesians six, he kinda saves that toward the end, but it's because it's it's kind of your offense. Correct. We say that, but I mean really the best offense is a good defense, right? So having that that belt of truth and all those things really is what protects us. But we kinda got the word of God early in this list. I wanna bring one more back that's that Jesus uses, and we've already talked about, but it's the authority. And I, I said earlier that it would come back in the discussion today, but it just tells us about, again, as we said in the previous episode, he teaches with authority, but then in verse number 27, they're amazed at his, the authority has to command this unclean spirit. The authority is something that we are given, it's bestowed upon us by God, to use the word of God, to use the other armaments that we are given. Without that authority, we're, we're only going to go so far. Every Christian has some measure of authority, and they're operating in some measure of that authority. But what God wants to give us is this command authority to do battle on the battlefield. Now, what's limiting us from that? What's limiting the guy listening from going from just having that general authority? I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. I, I I have the same place and same you know eternity, but I have no power. I have no command authority in my life. What's
2: limiting that? I mean, I think it's training, and, and maybe a better word to use would be preparedness. Preparation. Prep preparation. But 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 having a sense of in the moment, be being prepared and putting in the work to get that because. You know, those guys with command authority, they just don't wake up with that. There's a process that they have to go to, to. And I understand on the battlefield, people start dying, command authority transfers and a lot of time. But I'm talking about when you first start the battle, you don't just go up to the greenest guy there and say, Hey, buddy, this is your shot. You know, you you have at it. There, there has to be a process of getting there. And the authority that Jesus is giving to his disciples to be able to do these things it is given to those disciples that have walked a while with him that have traveled with him that have developed that relationship that have grown and matured and now he is turning around and giving them the authority to do what he's asked them to do
1: let me let me offer you this one the security of Jesus or the humility that he had is a great piece of armament that we need to have in our life and apply in our life. Now, let me show it to you, and then I want to hear what you guys think about this. But in verse 24, he's in the synagogue and he's teaching, and this man with the unclean spirit stands up and begins to verbally accost him, verbally assault him. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. But but Jesus' response to that is probably not my go-to response if i'm not, you know, if i if i'm in the flesh, it definitely would not be my response. He says, "Hold thy peace come out of him." And what i noticed about that was Jesus had no need to be recognized and known in this crowd. He wasn't there for himself. And it he was able to take the attack of the enemy. He was able to receive the diminishment because he was humble. Philippians chapter 2 talks about that, you know, that we're to have the same mind of Christ, that we're to humble ourselves as he did even to the obedience then to the death of the cross. So here's, a, here's an illustration. We're talking about fighting and all that stuff. You know, the Bruce Lee philosophy was to be, it, be water and, and how water receives that blow and it, it conforms to the blow. It takes it in. It doesn't stand rigidly against it. But oftentimes we're full of pride and battle and, and attack comes, we're so rigid that we can't take the diminishment and we do something out of the flesh.
2: Yeah, and it's it's that insecurity. and That's why the breastplate of righteousness comes to mind because Jesus was so secure in his own righteousness. He was so secure in his goodness, in his holiness, in his purity. He had nothing to prove to anybody. He didn't have to validate or vindicate himself because there wasn't this voice gnawing at at the back of his mind, see, you're about to be exposed for the fraud that you really are, which every other fallen man deals with. Now, we have that fallen man that we still struggle with, but in Christ, we have the righteousness of Christ in us, and therefore, we can equip ourselves with, our same, with that same breastplate of, this is how I can stand because it's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness, and in that, I can stand boldly. And the most important part
3: is... Jesus helps this man. So he's being verbally assaulted by this man, and he turns it around, and he helps him. Yes. He doesn't think of a clever response. He doesn't find a way to... Protect his belittle. own ego. Right, right. Make himself feel okay. He, he helps the guy, and the root word of discipleship is discipline, is not defense. And, and meaning there are those opportunities where we get attacked by someone... Even in the faith, there's that root word of of, of discipleship as discipline. Help that individual, and even even in the world, our our enemy is not flesh and blood. And so, what Jesus did was he turned it around and ended up helping in this man. So instead of looking at man as our enemies when we get assaulted and attacked, use that as an opportunity. Be like Jesus and actually help this individual. Now, Proverbs twenty five eight. Go not forth hastily to
1: strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. That sounds more like me, not what Jesus was doing. The end of this all, the end of our fighting, the end of our warfare, as we started this whole series off with, it's about winning hearts. It's about protecting hearts. And the breastplate of righteousness is that piece of equipment we wear to protect our own heart, and that allows us then to fight for the hearts of others. So you see the security of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, if you will, And uh, here's another one, compassion. In in this chapter, in Mark 1, you'll see when Jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes with Simon, a.k.a. Peter, a.k.a. The Rock, (laughs) and he goes with Peter and Andrew, James and John, and they go to Simon's wife's mother is in his house. She's sick with a fever, and she's really not doing well. Well, Jesus comes in, and it just says he came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And there's this compassion in Jesus that he's he's moved with this, and this is repeated throughout the Gospels. But, boy, I tell you, you talk about having a, a protected heart. Uh, just operating out of compassion to care about helping other people is an important part of our, of our spiritual warfare. I almost feel like that goes with the... Uh, The security. I mean, how can you serve others if you're not securing yourself?
2: Yep. And there's that feet shy with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Everywhere that Jesus went, he's bringing peace because he is peace. Everything in the world is in turmoil. He is the solution, he is the peace. As we equip that in us, as we bring Christ everywhere we go, we're going to look at that person that's accusing us. And we're going to have compassion on them. We're going to have a desire to speak blessing to them, to try to love them and help them the way that Christ loved them. But it's going to take that humility. It's going to take that submission. It's going to take all of these other things. But this is why the entire suit of armor is important. Not only do we use
3: Jesus as an example and have compassion on others, but also we need to understand he has compassion on us. And he wants us to put on this armor and fight these let him fight these spiritual battles for us because he loves us. And we're not just a name another, you know, another number, we're not just another face in the crowd. We have an intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior and he wants us to rely on him and lean on him. He wants us to cast all our cares upon him. So the compassion is not only an example of how we should treat others, but it also shows how much he loves us. There's one other thing
1: I think that we can pull out of this or highlight in the time that we have remaining, and it is, without doubt, foundational. And that is prayer. Yeah. Now, Jesus is a warrior. Jesus is not your common foot soldier in spiritual matters. He is a warrior. And of all the things we've described about him, uh You don't think necessarily of a warrior, and people don't portray Jesus as a warrior historically. I love this verse. In verse 35, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. Now the application here, if you want to go to Ephesians 6, Paul says we're to put on the whole armor of God. There's something about our our daily time with the Lord that allows us to endow ourselves, to clothe ourselves, to invest ourselves into Jesus, to be covered by him, to put on that armor. And Jesus practiced the same thing. It was the beginning and the end. It was the foundation of everything he was doing to prepare him for battle. And then Paul, at the end of Ephesians 6, you know, after he's listed all the armaments, he says, and praying always in, with all prayer and supplication. And so prayer is what kind of holds all of this together, if you will
3: one thing we brought out earlier was that temptation itself is not a sin. And it brought me to the verse where Jesus says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And when I think of that, that warning from him around spiritual warfare, no temptation is not a sin, but even praying that we don't enter into temptation. When's the last time I actually sought the Lord and prayed, Lord, you know, Help me to not enter into temptation today. Help me to stay focused on you and and so forth. So that's one thing that I was thinking of around the prayer.
1: Yeah, and so we use it it, uh, proactively to get ahead of things, and then there's those prayers in the moment when we're being challenged or we feel the oppression or the assault, and taking that time to step back, remove myself from a situation, even if I can't physically do it, because I'm sure all of you have been in those places where you're at the job and you've got an employer or you're in a meeting and somebody's, you know, this meeting's gone three times as long as it should. And and you just want to say to them, why are you so emotional?
2: <laughs> I had a feeling that was coming. I knew it was coming.
1: But you you just stop. You take a moment. You pray about it. You ask the Lord to give you peace. You ask the Lord to help you be settled. And you don't operate out of emotion that way. And so it's a very important part of our defense and our offense, this thing of prayer.
3: Yeah, because the thing about spiritual warfare we all need to understand is there is the general spiritual warfare that we face just from the Satan being the prince of the power in the air. He has an evil influence on the world. But then there are the direct attacks from the enemy. I think that's what you're referring to, right? The direct. So that's where the prayer comes in. Yeah, those things that you, I mean, like, we know that, that it's happening. Spiritual warfare
1: is going to happen. So it's kind of yeah. like saying, you know, uh, wow, it's already Christmas. It came on the twenty fifth of December this year. You know, I mean, like we know it's coming. We yeah. know spiritual warfare is coming. But there are still those sneak attacks. Oh, those yeah. times when you f- like everything it seems to be going good now, and then boom, where did that come from? Why did that happen? So, case in point, you were sharing a story uh, with me earlier,
2: just recently. Uh, got back into the whole working out routine and everything like that after my hiatus of you know the new baby and then uh, the continuing ramifications of the new baby and basically just falling off the horse and getting back on or it or the week. wagon. Either way, horse wagon. It depends on. I'm a couple days back into to getting there, and you know this morning, man, I, I'm up early. You know, and plenty of time to eat some breakfast, drink some coffee, do my my reading or my time of prayer, and things are going smooth. Children are starting to wake up to get ready for school, and I got about ten or fifteen minutes to see everybody, to help out some before I hop in the truck and go. And literally, I pick my keys up off the counter to get ready to walk outside. And it's like everything comes unglued in the house. Again, we're not talking like temper tantrums and attitudes, and nothing like that. It's just like anything that could have gone wrong just immediately went wrong. And there begins to be this, this feeling of stress and frustration and aggravation. I think, man, and I get in the truck and I put it in drive and I get a little bit down the road and I immediately identify this. Angst that literally with just within 6 minutes everything went from being calm, smooth, good, prepared for the day, whoosh, disheveled everything all around me and I had to stop and recenter like wow, this this is an attack that came up because what I am being played with is now to enter into frustration throughout the remainder of my day. Over ultimately unavoidable things and again, not terrible things, just normal stresses and routines of life that just whoosh, dumped on me all of a sudden. And, I mean, that's the kind of direct, immediate attack that if we don't have all these things that we've already talked about, that awareness, that preparation beforehand to be able to engage with this, you'll find the remainder of your day is just blown up.
1: I think one thing that we can wrap up with today and that I hear in all this discussion, and we've said it many times, is the necessity of staying close to God. And when we also approach or understand the battles of our life, the battles of our morning trying to get out the door, the battles of that co-worker, oh. that boss, that supervisor that wants to make a public example of you. Oh, hey. <laughs> all of that. Remember that God has this, this glorious intention to use spiritual warfare to draw us into that deeper communion with him. And we're talking about armament, right? I need the weapons. I need to know how to use the weapons. I know that I am weak in my own power. Therefore, I need to be with God. And I think sometimes God allows these things in our life because, yeah, could he prevent it all? Absolutely Mm -hmm. he could. Why doesn't he? Because he wants you closer to him. He wants to establish, strengthen, and settle you through the use of all these troubles in your life. Psalm 15, verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, the Lord said. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So your battles have a purpose. If there's nothing else that I could definitively close out with, I can definitely say this. We have literally only begun to scratch the surface of this topic. But next time we're going to come and we're going to talk about one other component of the spiritual warfare, and that is our allies. We don't have to do this alone. We shouldn't try to do it alone. And so we need to gather some allies, some fellow warriors around us. Until next time, this is... Mike Overtrek Barnett saying, I am absolutely ready to go take a walk on the wild side and get out of this place.
3: This is Dr. Dean, Roland Napoleon, what's Can't left of him. His name.
2: And for that, you are welcome. <laughs> and this is Corey Easy Target Cantrell I saying, too. Yeah. literally, good, morning, <laughs> good afternoon. I'll and finally, out. good night. Like In the
0: heart of a champion, there is a fire.